Welcome to Displacement, a podcast journey toward hope, brought to you by St. Ignatius Parish in San Francisco. This week, we discuss how we can view the coronavirus pandemic through the eyes of our Lenten theme of displacement. So this Lent, our community at St. Ignatius Parish in San Francisco has been entering into this theme of displacement, both this existential feeling and this community reality. My name is Teresa Carino, and I'm the Director of Faith Formation. My name is Maggie Warner, and I'm the Coordinator of Parish Worship. My name is Father Travis, and I am Associate Pastor at St. Ignatius. So displacement really comes from a feeling that we all experience. It's more of an existential feeling. And um, it comes, at least where I first heard of it, is from a book by a Jesuit at Santa Clara, Paul Crowley, a book called The Unmoored God. And he talks about how God has become unmoored in a cultural stream that for so long God had a place in. Um, But in modernity, God has become displaced, that uh, questions or the underlining narrative has been thrown into uh, questioning what to do when God has become unmoored. It feels very scary. And one of the reactions is to try to sure it up in um, doctrine or dogma or Uh, hold on tighter, or we can kind of recognize that the incarnation and the crucifixion and the resurrection, all of Jesus's life, the Paschal ministry, is a dislocating experience so that now we're finally free enough to find God. And so there are, depending on the estimate, 65 to 78 million displaced people around the world People feel displaced in the church. People feel displaced in society. It seems that identities are up for grab and people feel lost and isolated. And it's exhausting to construct your own identity uh, from scratch. Why don't we do a round of check-ins? How are you all doing? It's been almost a week since we've been in the office together. So this is week two of having online classes. And I think week one of officially not working in the office together. Robert and I live in a 500 square foot apartment. So we definitely have felt the, um, not necessarily tension yet, but just trying to strike a balance of having a little bit of alone time. Um, I feel the privilege of the way that my job and my work and like my academic life have insulated me from, I think, the worst parts of what other people are experiencing. Um, Because honestly, it's been a little bit of a relief to check out from my life for a little bit and not to be running around and like dealing with the commute and traffic on the bridge and all of that. So I think we're doing pretty good, but, you know, we've only been in mandatory shelter in place for a couple of days, so it's still hard to say. I'm doing well. Uh, like Maggie, I've kind of taken the opportunity to um, just take a little downtime to read, 
Uh, I've enjoyed running and seeing people out in the park. It's a little time of normalcy in my life throughout the day, which keeps me going and um, keeps my mind more open rather than just kind of focusing on all of the news that's going on. It's a little strange living in community with 36 Jesuits, where I think the average age is probably 58, 57 years old and heavily weighted on each end. So if there is a vulnerable population, um, I'm living there. Um, And that's a little uh, hard for me. Not that it's hard, Jesuit community, but uh, in the sense that I'm always having to to remind myself that I am one of those people who are not in the vulnerable population. And so I'm constantly trying to um, remind myself of how I talk about it, how I approach it, um, and kind of paying attention to the real fear that people have. So it's been a good kind of spiritual discipline for me and uh, not being so cavalier about it. Um, but really trying to um, put myself in someone else's shoes. I feel very much like I am learning how to ride a bike for the first time without training wheels. And my schedule and my structure of my regular days are my training wheels. But since I am now living where I work and go to school, um, it's been a little bit of a challenge just managing it all. There's also five of us under one household, under one roof, and uh, we all have very different temperaments and personalities. So it's interesting to manage that when you don't really have your own space to go into um, when you're upset with someone or you're frustrated or you need to take a phone call. So it's been a little difficult. Like my days kind of blend into one. I'm not sure what day it is. But one thing that's been keeping me a little sane is I've been doing a lot of cooking and baking, which is something that I didn't get to do since I've been back, essentially, since I moved back to the Bay Area seven months ago, because I've just been so busy with with work and school and commuting. Um, So I made some uh, cinnamon rolls this morning, which are patiently awaiting me to eat them upstairs. Oh, you haven't had one yet? No, I haven't had one. They're fresh out of the oven. (laughs) And my stomach is growling. (laughs) We can smell those too. (laughs) Uh, When we're all back together, uh, if they turned out well, I'll make them for you guys. Okay. The spread of COVID-19, or the, the spread of the coronavirus, rather, has coincided with Lent. I think it's it was Lent too, right, Maggie, that we um, live streamed our mass for the first time? Lent three. Lent three. Um, so Lent two is we were kind of hearing that it was spreading. There were cases coming up in the Bay Area. Um, and then Lent three, Father Greg sent out a message to everyone to stay home and watch mass from our TVs, from our computers. So I just thought it was interesting that we had already chosen this theme of displacement. And here we are being displaced in our own homes, which is uh, an interesting thing to think about. 
So how can we see the COVID-19 pandemic through the eyes of displacement? I've been um, conscious of my own displacement. I'm kind of wondering, can I make it for three weeks stuck in the house? And this is only, I think, day three. Um, so I've been feeling my own anxiety of being at home and um, feeling even within our house distant from people for the abundance of precautions we're taking, whether it's skipping a seat at the dinner table and having to talk across it um, or just kind of walking in hallways complete on the opposite sides of each other to create as much distance as possible. So feeling kind of displaced socially, uh, even in your own home is a little disorientating and just kind of the fear. But one thing I've really been also conscious of is that I'm one of the lucky ones. Um, and I have all my needs taken care of, but there were people before this who were displaced. And so during this pandemic, what's going to happen to them? Um, for example, those without health insurance or those without a home or those who are living on a bubble, a razor thin edge of their rent or mortgage or whatever, uh, when they become displaced from their job. Um, this is going to have a ripple effect that I don't think any of us can even begin to imagine or project. Um, so I don't know. It certainly for me and Jesus's walk to the cross, he must have been completely disorientated, wondering when it was going to stop. Um, he didn't know about the empty tomb at the end. Um, so he was just trying to hold on to some sort of semblance of hope. And uh, I think a lot of people are feeling that way right now. Yeah, I was trying to write a reflection um, for the past week now, asking how do we have hope in a time of a global pandemic? And it's been like an empty Word doc on my computer, and I just see the cursor flashing at me, asking me to answer that question. Um, I don't know how to answer it because every day when I turn on the news, the news just seems more and more grim. I remember that one day I got a push alert on my phone from the New York Times saying that the death toll in Italy spiked like over 300 in one day. And just realizing the gravity of this virus and how it's ravaging communities and individual families um, has really weighed heavy on my heart. And it's interesting balancing that and also enjoying the time I have to bake. And so it's like, how do I, how do I hold these two things together has been a question that I've been asking myself. And then I was reading this uh, French philosopher who I studied in college named Gabriel Marcel, and he writes about the metaphysics of hope he talks about this difference in hoping in and hoping that. So hoping that this virus won't spread, hoping that my loved ones won't get sick, hoping that I can resume my normal life is setting us up for despair because we're putting a pre-described expectation on how the outcome 
or what the outcome is going to be. But he says that in hoping in, it gives us more freedom because we're hoping in a mystery. And I think that speaks to what you were talking about, Travis, how Jesus was on the cross and he was going through this journey, not knowing, knowing it was going to end in his death, but not knowing what was going to come afterwards, really. Um, I mean, he foreshadows it, but then he, he hopes in the love of God and that relationship that he has with God. So he goes through, goes through with it. I mean, he asks, he has his moments of doubts. He wants the cup to be passed, but he's hoping in his relationship and the love of, of God. So that, that bring me some, some solace. I mean, it's difficult to wrestle with, but then Gabrielle Marcel also just says that on a, on a really basic level, hoping and having hope is knowing that the situation won't stay the same forever. I think it's kind of um, like, this is such a rich time lent to engage in prayer because as you said, the foreshadowing, that word foreshadowing, at least I'll speak for myself, it's so easy to forget that the Gospels are written, you know, 50, 60, 100 years after the event. And so these are well processed in the minds and hearts of people, but, um, and they can write all kinds of theological insights into them. But during the time of the displacement of Jesus going towards the cross, uh, it must have been just complete chaos and uncertainty not unsimilar to what we're going through right now in our own individual experiences. Yeah, when we received the information from the governor about shelter in place and just when I saw what the date was that the last um, the last day I think is April 7th, um, which is after Palm Sunday. And the way that this is going to I mean, we don't know if we're going to be back together or back in community by then. Um, and one of the things that I started thinking about is, has there been a time historically when the church has been displaced like this or dispersed like this around the world? I mean, certainly in times of war or per- perhaps in times of plague, but this kind of global displacement um, and disbursement of the church is a really, it's just been a really rich image for my prayer in the last couple of days. And it felt prophetic that our parish landed on this theme of displacement. And we've been talking for, as we were getting ready to do the booklet, to put the booklet together and then to, to roll it out, I mean, it's been a couple of months. We've been talking about people who experience displacement as refugees, people who are trying to cross the southern border, people who are being forced out of agricultural life and into industrial ways of living. Um, and now here we are in the middle of Lent 3, and our community has been displaced. And we spend so much time, I spend so much time in my work thinking about how can we be church? How can we do church? How can we create community through the way that we're doing liturgy? And this pandemic has just, I mean, kind of, it's like dropping marbles onto a drumhead. It's just pushed us all into 
um, a time of unknowing and a time of chaos. And the, the theme in the booklet is stations of displacement. And something that I hadn't thought about in a real way is that we are, when you're displaced, you don't know what station you're in. You can see that and perceive it in retrospect. But just like you were saying, Teresa, about hope and what we hope for and how we potentially set ourselves up for um, disappointment, we don't know where we're going to be in three weeks. We don't know the extent of what's, what's going to happen. And the New York mayor yesterday on a podcast I was listening to described this as being able to see the enemy on the horizon. Hmm. And I think that that describes, I think, where we are because we don't know what's going to happen or where we're going to be in three weeks. But I feel a lot of hope for the way that the church is going to continue to be spiritually connected. And I, I, part of that is the mystery that I, I don't know where we're going, that even though our community is displaced right now, I don't know where we're going. Mm, that was really rich, Maggie. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. I was thinking about that image of marbles on a drum head. And just like how chaotic that is. And you ended with hope. So I want to try to bring it back to hope, but I don't know how uh, at this moment. But just thinking about that image of marbles on a drum head. Um, the day before we got the shelter in place um, announcement, my sister had received a text saying that this was probably imminent. Well, she said that she got a text saying that a lockdown for the Bay Area was imminent. So we went to Target at 11 p.m. and panic bought. And we had been keeping our cool pretty much every day since and, and had been following the news. But once we got that, we really we went to the store and bought what was left, which was like artisan meatballs and <laughs> like buffalo Alaskan cod, like buffalo wing style cod. <laughs> Delicious. That sounds awful. <laughs> so I don't know what we're going to be eating for the next, oh, I know what we're going to be eating. Yeah, you know, know exactly what you're going to be eating. I don't know how good it's going to be. With some cinnamon rolls. With some mm. cinnamon rolls. So delicious. Sweet and savory. <laughs> um, but just like this, this panic that has like swept our world. And I can't blame anyone for it, you know? Like, it's easy to watch on TV or, like, read BuzzFeed um, or go on Twitter and see all these memes kind of making fun of people who are panicking. Um, But I get it. I mean, we totally got caught up in it. And just we didn't, like, overcome with fear. We just just grabbed things off the shelf that, that seemed like it would be good. I think a lot of that too is just related to the the not knowing. Our lives generally insulate us so much from any kind of uncertainty. We know for sure that we're going to be able to pay our rent. We know for sure that when we turn on the faucet, clean potable water is going to come out. Um, and generally, we know that our family and our loved ones are safe from the unknown. And I think this is the first time 
probably since World War II. I think we experienced a little bit of this after 9-11, but that our country has experienced together this, um, this unknowing. And it makes people panic. It makes us all feel panicked. You know, one of the stations um, was Simon helping Jesus carry his cross. And I think, you know, sometimes uh, in my imagination, the narrative of Jesus is just like the long slog of brutality to Calvary. And that even Jesus need a moment of respite, you know, mm. that he, he just couldn't carry it all. Mm. He needed a break. And so um, I think it was, Teresa, you were saying you're enjoying doing some things that you don't normally get to do with a little extra time on your hands and how and balancing that with what the rest of the world is going through. And perhaps there's feeling a little guilty or, um, but I think those moments, uh, you know, those stations in this journey are really important, or even just being able to laugh. I know that I've just been really um, appreciate, I just appreciate when someone sends me a funny video or um, kind of maybe makes an irreverent joke about it. Um, but those, I mean, that's like Simon taking my cross and that uh, it's just, again, um, that I don't have to carry it myself and that I don't have to just continue to just load myself with information and news uh, of heaviness, but stay informed. Um, but that, that it is a journey that there are multiple stations um, and that those stations can't be separate from our whole entire lives. So what's the best irreverent joke that you've gotten so far? Oh, that's, can you say it on the podcast? probably not appropriate for podcasts. We're trying to keep this <laughs> family friendly, family friendly. So I don't know. Um, <laughs> although someone did send me a video that I thought was pretty funny of this guy pulling up and it looks like uh, a drug deal going down and hundred dollars he whips out and the guy untucks from his um, coat, toilet paper and Perel. So <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think, you know, again, I'm able, I know that I'm able to say this because of my, my place of privilege and the ways that I'm like separated from, from what is happening, particularly economically. But I have been thinking about the way that ecosystems, ecosystems renew themselves. And I, I, the hope that I have right now is you know, yesterday there were no new cases reported in, in China. And so this is their second day without new cases. And that gives me a lot of hope about the length of time that this is going to last for us in the United States. But I also am just really curious to see what's going to happen when people are pushed into totally different routines and forced to spend more time with their families, forced to spend more time baking, um, and, and what kind of value that places on our parish community as well. Like, what does church mean to us when we don't have 17 other activities as a family that we have to go to that are asking some kind of social or emotional commitment? Um, yeah, I think one of the things that I'm clinging to is just the the ways that this might 
pop open seeds from a pine cone and start to grow to grow something new for us culturally what will the cultural outcomes be of this hard reset on our economy on our daily lives on the our work modes every single part of our lives have just been completely altered maggie warner coming in with those beautiful images I love metaphors. <laughs> Teresa, your cinnamon rolls have gotten tons of traction today. Let me just point out. <laughs> but my hope is that when this is over, we just have a big blowout party at St. Ignatius. Oh my gosh, me too. Big liturgy, sharing food. Jesus for fun, everyone. Probably a little dancing. Yes. I have been fantasizing about that as well. Like having to put off the, the sacraments possibly at the Easter Vigil I've been just dreaming about what this liturgy is going to look like when we can all get together. And thank gosh, our church is big enough for everyone to come. Pulling out all the stops. It's going to be packed. All the flowers. Get DJ Hightop or Hilltop or whatever his name is. Hightop, right? You bring up a good point of doing a hard reset on, our, on the way our lives have been going, essentially and the way that our economy is set up. One thing that this pandemic has really shown for me or shed a light on is how broken our our infrastructures are or our systems are and how that's like the real societal sin. And I think oftentimes as a church, we we think about our individual sins and how we have acted against God or against our, our community members. Um, but thinking about the structures that we have in place and that we participate in, like when we got the shelter in place ordinance, I was reading it, um, at least Mayor Breed's uh, from her office. And there was an, like an article in there that was like, those who are experiencing homelessness are exempt from this, the shelter in place, but they're encouraged to find shelter. And how many people do we have in our city that are homeless? I don't have the statistic, but just driving around, I was shocked when I came back from New York because maybe I had put San Francisco as this idyllic town or idyllic city, but I was just shocked by the number of homeless people that I have encountered, which seemed to have rise in the time that I've, that I've been away. Um, and like the, how little people are protected um, at hourly jobs. And it's just, yeah, it's really shining a light of on all these areas in which we have essentially failed the least of our society. So how have you guys been praying through this time? I was supposed to have spiritual direction on Friday and I told my director that we should just reschedule because I, my life has been so upended that I, I've hardly had time to think about where God is in my life or try to notice where God is in my life. Um, but as things have quieted down in the last couple of days, I just, I feel like I'm hearing these readings and experiencing the readings in the lectionary in a really fresh way because I'm in such a different place right now. 
And even like this week, I've, I keep coming back to the reading of the woman at the well and thinking about what I thirst for mm-hmm. and thinking about what, our, what it is that our community is thirsting for and what it means that Jesus wants to give us living water. I've been really thankful for the structure of the lectionary because every other structure and framework in my life has completely disappeared in the last two weeks. And I feel like that has given some continuity that my prayer and and structure that my prayer has needed. Yeah, I think part of my prayer has just been learning in this season of Lent what I need to fast for. So a lot of the things that I had committed to doing or had given up kind of went out the window with all of this. So uh, it's like also a Lenten reset. And one of those things that I need to fast from is continuous stream of news and, um, you know, not turning on the television, which is so easy to do uh, when you're pent up in your house. I've been reading a lot. Uh, One of my go-tos is Dorothy Day. And so I've been reading a lot of Dorothy Day. And what what strikes me about her is that, you know, of course she wanted to change society, but she knew how, she knew that she needed to have direct contact with those who she served because it wasn't about just changing society. It was also about changing her own heart and just be open to continual conversion. And so I've been trying to ask myself, how is it can I help people who are going through a difficult time right now, not just to be a savior and not just to help them, but to change my own heart? Hmm. Um, I've been praying um, with the, the first spiritual exercises, which was compiled by this Australian Jesuit, Michael Hansen. And so we've been doing this, a couple of parishioners from St. Ignatius and a couple from St. Agnes, more than a couple. I think there's over 20 people who are doing it at the same time. And last week we were meditating upon the upper room. And so the week began and it was essentially the last supper. So it was this, in my prayer, in my imagination, we are in this, Um, room with a large wooden table and it was full and people were around it and we were eating and drinking and just really relishing our time together and then by the end of the week I'm back in the room and it's empty and it's that overwhelming fear that I imagine that the, the apostles had when they're up in that upper room after Jesus has died and they don't know what to do or where to go next. Um, Their whole lives were restructured um, from meeting Jesus and here he was taken away from them. And then in my prayer, there is Jesus enters the room as he does in the story um, and he shows us his wounds. And I just remember feeling such deep sorrow and pain really seeing Jesus as a friend and and a really close friend and just feeling the pain that you feel for the pain of a friend who has been been hurt and then he just envelops me in a hug and that's where I've been going back to is that hug from Jesus 
that in his pain and suffering, he still has the capacity to comfort me, which is such a role reversal because I'm so used to being the comforter, right? And now it's and now it's like I need comfort and I'm trying to get that from Jesus. And so this week has been crazy. So I haven't really been praying along with the third week, but I have been going back to that image of that empty room and then Jesus being there and giving me a hug. That's a really great image, Teresa. Yeah. Thank you, Maggie and Travis. This has been such a rich conversation and a nice pause to really reflect and enter into prayerful conversation with people who I don't live with. So thank you for that. Likewise. Yeah, thank you. There was, uh, I didn't know what I was going to talk about today and there was more than I realized. So thank you for bringing that out, Teresa. You are a fountain overflowing, Father Travis. Oh, thank you. (laughs) So what are ways that people, our parishioners, people listening to this podcast can pray in this time of displacement? I think it's a worthwhile exercise to reflect on the question, which we did today was, you know, we're going through together as a community of St. Ignatius, a parish uh, of Lent. The theme is displacement, and we don't have to get rid of Lent or throw Lent out um, because we have been displaced, but we can go deeper into it and reflecting about it in light of what's going on in the world right now with the pandemic. So I think just it's, it's rich soil for prayer. I think another thing we could do together as a community is uh, the examine, because as all of us mentioned, our lives have been upside down. And even taking five or seven minutes away from our families and just sit down and consider where God has been in our lives in the last 12 hours or in the last 24 hours, and just set a timer and be quiet and ask God where God has been moving in your life in the last couple of hours. This time, you know, out of need is often born creativity and uh, trying to respond. And so the staff at St. Ignatius has been trying to do that too. So there's a lot of content that we're producing online to have a virtual experience. So whether that's live streaming masses or doing an audio version, daily masses, um, homilies, recorded at Stations of the Cross of our own stations in the church that's on YouTube. There's going to be some other prayer things. Uh, maybe you, Teresa and Maggie, can talk about those things that you're working on this podcast. So just keeping yourself up to date on Facebook, Instagram, our parish website, emails, and following them. And then also interacting with them because that's how we build community. We have to kind of interact and dialogue through those. And so I think those can be really, really rich resources. And on the live stream on Sunday, I felt the communion there inside the church. Yeah, we're doing a lot at St. Ignatius to move towards a digital ministry. And one exciting thing that we're going to be doing this Sunday after the live stream is holding space on Zoom for faith sharing. So we'll send out a link on how to access that. You can just log on to Zoom. You just need a computer or a phone, and then we'll break off into different um, faith sharing groups and just have a moment to be a community together virtually. 
Another virtual prayer experience that will start next week is um, virtual sacred space. So every day at the same time, member of the parish staff will hold an hour of sacred space for us to join in. Thank you for listening. This has been Displacement, a podcast journey towards hope. Tune in next week as we continue the conversation.